0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I want to get into the Word here because of of, uh, the importance and the power of the Word of God in our lives. So to me, as we get into the Word together, It's important to have an expectation. You know, I mean, I don't know about you, but it kind of feels a little bit like a a sleepy morning. You ever have one of those where you just kind of, you get moving, you get, and it just doesn't feel, you know, it doesn't have to be cloudy or gloomy or rainy outside. That helps, right? If it's a little chilly and there's a little mist and things. Then sometimes you just kind of have trouble, you know, getting everything moving. Well, I want to encourage you, get things moving as we get into the Word this morning and I want to have an expectation. I think that's a real important thing to do. Now, we can use different words, and and we all have different vocabulary and things like that, Uh, but I know there have been people that have spoken into my life, and they'll use the same concept. They they may use different words, but they encourage me personally to have an expectation. Now, uh, some of you have met Nigel McNeil. You, you know Nigel. He's been here and ministered before. If you haven't, uh, uh, you, you'd be better off for it when he comes. I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, but Nigel would use the word make make a demand. Now, he's Australian, and they say things really weird there, right? Uh, I, I enjoy Australians. I like watching their news. I think you can actually get better, more accurate news watching Australian news than you can American news. Uh, but they do say things a little uh, uh, different, it, so that's just a term that he used, you know. He'll, he'll encourage a congregation to, to make a demand on the word of God. And, and the first time I heard that, I thought, well, that sounds wrong. Like, that just sounds weird to me. But I understand what he's saying. He's saying there needs to be an expectation in your heart. I mean, you could just simplify it by saying, you know, why are you here this morning? Are you here out of some obligation or, or some habit or some tradition? Or are you here because there is something you're expecting to to either offer to God or receive from God or both. And I want us to to have that mentality when we come together, to have an expectation, something that we desire to to offer, something that we desire to receive. And I'm excited to to come together with those expectations in hand and watch God uh, do great things in our lives. Uh, So I want to give you a few things that we'll find in the Word. One thing that we're going to find is what we should never do what we should never do. I mean, for you, for me, regardless of age, gender, anything like that, it doesn't matter. There's something that we should never do. It's in the scripture, and and it's actually something that uh, is is tough to pull off sometimes, especially in our current culture. Another thing that we're going to find as we get into the Word is why the truth is under attack. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing. I mean, we might have different perspectives about the day we live in. I personally feel like truth is under attack. I don't know if you share that, that feeling at all. If you do, then, then we'll be on the same page as we get here. If you don't, you'll at least understand why I would say such a thing when we get into the scripture and we see that. I can tell you when I, when I witness what's going on in the world today, it seems like there's an attempt to make truth somewhat relative. Truth is very much now dependent upon your perspective or, or your agenda, and, and right now things are being stated, and then there's this uh, whole fact-checking thing, and all of these things that are going on today in an attempt to uh, really bring a narrative to life or create something and call it truth. And I want us to understand what truth is and and why it's important. So I feel like truth is being assaulted right now. And I want to show you a couple of things in the scripture that would help us to understand why that would be the case. So if I haven't set that up well enough, just let me get there. and, And I believe it's going to work out when we get into the scripture. A third thing that we're going to find is how sober people think. Now, I've been a drunk before, and years and years, I mean decades ago, uh, dealt with alcoholism and things like that, <clears throat> and then was set free from that very miraculously. Uh, so I have an understanding, based on my own life experience, how sober people think. And we're going to see a couple of things in the scripture that would apply to every single person. I mean, you could have never had an addiction in your life, but you can still learn how sober people think. There's a lot of things that attempt to poison or intoxicate your thinking, and it's important for us as believers, we'll see in the word, to think with a sober mind. And as we get into the scripture, that'll make more sense as well. But those are things we're going to look forward to. I mentioned we're going to find out what we should never do. I want to do that right now. I want to start off with that. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 5. I want to look at verse 20. What we should never do. Now, we we really need to develop our lives around uh, this this concept, or at least the prevention of this concept. It's something that uh, we need to be very intentional about. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, something we should never do. It reads like this. It says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I want to just pause there and ask, when you read that and you look at the current culture that is very active and very vocal in the world today, do you see this going on? I mean, I I do. I see it going on, and I see it going on more and more. Now, that doesn't mean that it's never gone on before. I just feel like it's really amplified. Uh, There are certain voices that have gotten a hold of media platforms, and now they're louder than ever. So even if it hasn't expanded and, and gotten greater in number, it's most definitely obtained a louder voice. And you see a number of things being called good that are evil, a number of things that are evil that are being called good. You see this substitution going on, and it's something that we need to be aware of because this is a really bad situation to be in. I mean, this situation is founded upon something that's really bad news. I mean, that something I want to offer to you is deception. I don't know if you've ever been deceived before. I I have. it's, It's no fun. Here's the real sting of deception, right? You don't know what's going on. If you knew that deception was going on, you wouldn't be deceived, right? You would just simply be, whether it's in rebellion or whether it would just be selfish or something, you would simply be doing the thing, but you wouldn't think the thing wasn't there or that the thing was right. So as we address this, I think it's important to realize that God's calling us to be aware of the thing that would be a trap to us, which would be deception. And we need to be very careful how we evaluate things. So this passage of scripture here uh, communicates a couple of things that I think are worth noting. First of all, the scripture identifies who's doing this, right? I mean, woe to those that call evil good and good evil. I mean, this is a people group that we would really want to, to be mindful that we don't become. Uh, it means we need to really be aware of, of who we are and how we're functioning. I think that good and evil are, are things that are, are absolutely relative in the sense of someone's uh, ideology. There are things that I think are evil, but other people think are just fine. There are things that I think are good, and other people think those things are evil. I mean, you have people that have different ways of thinking, and because of those different ways of thinking, those different ideologies, so to speak, you have different perspectives. So for me, I realized this is potentially a a trap. Now, there is a solution to this. We're going to find the solution because as Christians, as believers, we need to walk in that solution or else we could find ourselves in the middle of the quicksand that is deception. I mean, if the Bible says, be careful not to call good things evil and evil things good, then we need to be careful how we measure good and evil. I mean, there's got to be a standard. It can't just be allowed to be relative or else everything we do is going to be subject to our, our ideology, subject to the culture, subject to the times, so to speak, which would be the same as the culture. It would be subject to a number of things that vary or that change. So when we celebrate our faith, it's important for us to understand the things that make up who God is and make up the kingdom of God. When you read things in the scripture like the kingdom that we inherit in Jesus is an unshakable kingdom, it's not just that that's a creative way to say that it's really cool or that it's really strong or that it's really tough. It's a very biblical way to communicate that it doesn't shift. It does not vary. It does not change. It's not under development where it's going to eventually evolve into something. Rather, it is fixed and it is unchanging. Now, this would make perfect sense because God is fixed and unchanging. I mean, this is a really big deal for us to catch. It's kind of Christianity 101, but if we don't step out of 101, if we have this wrong, it will make everything crooked from here on out. I mean, God said himself, I, the Lord, do not change. He's, he's not a man that he should lie. What he says, he will do. It won't vary. It won't shift. Now, this is kind of something that I think is important for all of us to catch. I, I can't talk about this without remembering, you know, kind of odd things in, in my life experience. Some of them are worth sharing. Some of them not so much, you know. But I remember having a massive conflict with my wife when we were were newlyweds. How long are you newlyweds officially? Is it until your first massive fight and then you're not newlyweds anymore, is that how (laughs) it works? And a fight's a really strong word because I mean that's a relative term. So you're not talking about you know people throwing things and and domestic dispute and the police being called or anything, nothing like that. It's just we we were having a a real situation where there was a a disagreement and then how that disagreement was being handled was either going to uh, be productive or be unproductive. And I've done a lot of them in the unproductive way, which was really kind of, uh, it's embarrassing today, but that's part of growing up. You just learn how to do things and how to handle things right. Well, I remember just believing with all of my heart that my wife had won the lottery when we exchanged vows and and said, I do, that this was just (laughs) the greatest thing that could ever happen to her. and, And that, you know, the reality was that she would spend the rest of her life being so eternally grateful that, that it was just all gonna be daisies and roses. And then I found out that that, that wasn't the case and, and pitched a fit like a child, basically. I don't even remember what the, the dispute was over. I mean, I really don't, but it was, it was a, a thing. And, and I just remember being so uh, uh, blown away that she would, would be so fixated on how I carried myself, how I spoke, how I responded to her. I was more like, hey, this is the problem, not this. But the reality was, this was the problem, not that. The thing I can't even remember anymore. But, but the, the personality and the, the, the methods and the habits of communication, I remember that very clearly. Because I remember what I said to her. I was so irritated and frustrated that she was irritated and frustrated at how I was handling it, that I thought it would be really good to inform her that this is what she married. So I remember making the comment of just saying, hey, listen, this is... This is what you got this is who I am I remember saying that now she's older than me which means just more life experience and and, uh, you know a greater opportunity for maturity which she capitalized on I mean older doesn't always mean mature but but she uh, was much more mature than me at at that time and I would say probably still is today when I said that when I just looked at her and said hey listen get used to this because this is who I am you know if you don't like that, you're probably in for a long ride, because you're gonna get a lot more. This is who I am. That's all I remember. This is who I am, this is who I am. And she looked at me real gracious, you know, real kind, wasn't sassy or or ugly or didn't raise her voice, but just looked at me and said, honey, and I knew I was in trouble when she said that. <laughs> There's only one I am. You can change. And, and I thought, oh, okay, there's something there. I mean, God is steady and he's unchanging, but yet my whole life is meant to be changing and transforming on a daily basis into the likeness of Jesus. But we can get stuck in those things in our own ideologies, in our own views, in our own opinions and affiliations, you know, whether they're relational or, or political or, or religious or, or whatever, and we can come to this point where we get so dug in where then we decide what we're going to call good and what we're going to call evil. In that conflict, I thought I was good and she was evil. The truth is, woe unto me, because I I was wrong. But we're we're called to be changing, so it's important for us to understand what uh, what things are unchanging and what things aren't. So if the challenge here is to be careful not to call good things evil and evil things good, if the challenge here is not to substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, if the challenge here is not to substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter, then I think we need to realize that we need a a standard. Because bitter and sweet could be relative. Good and evil could be relative in that situation. So God has introduced a standard for us, and it's really the way that we're, we're called to walk out our lives, how we're called to live our lives. And today, I've made a commitment to, to view things differently, where in the past, I was devoted to, to identifying good and evil and making a decision between the two. Today, I, I look at things differently. Rather than seeing the world in good and evil, I, I try, by, with God's grace, to see the world through truth and lie. And I want to offer this to you just as something to to chew on, and we're going to get into the word, and it's going to become uh, very black and white in just a moment, but God's offered us the world in this standard, truth and lie, and he's offered this, I want you to just pay attention to a a couple of titles, right? I mean, I think all of us would acknowledge that the work of Satan and the work of the devil and the work of all that is demonic would, would fall in the evil category, right? But yet when God refers to Satan or when God speaks of the devil, he he doesn't call him the father of all evil, even though that would probably be something none of us would dispute. But he calls him something specific in John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking of Satan and he says he is a liar and he's the father of all lies. And then when Jesus speaks of the Holy Ghost, he speaks of the Holy Spirit in multiple places, but specifically in John chapter 16. In John chapter 16, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit and identifies him as follows. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and he will guide you into all truth. So I want to just step back and make a note here. Note that Jesus does not identify Satan as the father of evil and the spirit of God as the spirit of good, but rather he identifies Satan as the father of lies and the Holy Ghost as the spirit of truth. We need to see these as the standard that God has introduced for us to to measure with, to measure by. That way, we're completely protected from anything relative leading us and guiding us potentially in the wrong direction. And right now, there are attempts to, to package things and to assemble things in such a way that anyone would sign on for them. When I turn on the news or when I listen to, to any of the, the mainstream culture communicating to me, they will, will make statements and, and say things that anyone in their right mind w- would agree with. I agree that we shouldn't leave children to starve to death on the border, but I'm not sure that we ought to just let anyone come into the country. So if we're having things presented to us where we're having to decide based on relative good and evil, we could find ourselves a few degrees off and it could be problematic in the long run. But if we see things in absolute, the way God has introduced them, truth and lie, It will protect us from making poor decisions based on relative judgment. So for us as believers, I think it's important for this to affect how we think, how we function, how we pray. And and it would be a, a, a good thing to introduce into our prayer life. Father, today, let my eyes see clearly what's true and what's a lie. And give me the courage and the strength to embrace truth with every aspect of my being. And give me the courage and the strength to reject every lie. Give me words of wisdom to disarm the assault as lies are pushed my way to be embraced. And let me have the words of wisdom to, to confirm, to affirm, and to walk in the truth that you're calling me to live my life by. I want to see things in truth and lies so that I can make good decisions. So we mentioned before we're going to find out why truth is under attack. I mean, I feel like truth is under attack. There's all of these little traps being laid for people to make these compromised choices and decisions, and and they're set with the bait is half-truth. I mean, the example that was given about kids starving is a pretty good example because nobody would be for that, at least nobody who wasn't insane or, or psychotic. But, but these, these half-truths could be offered up in a way that would set the trap for people to make decisions that would ultimately be compromised in the end. So there's a reason why uh, truth is, is being assaulted. And I want to give you a passage of Scripture. I think we'll see it clearly as we get into the Word. It's from the Gospel of John, Gospel of John chapter 8. I want to begin with verse uh, 31. We'll, we'll read all the way through verse 36. Verse 36. And I want to open with verse 31 for a reason, because it reveals the context of who Jesus is speaking to, and I think that's important for you and me today. Uh, John chapter 8, you know, we're going to find out here why, why truth is under attack. So Jesus was saying to those Jews that had believed in him, now I want to stop right there. I like including this passage of scripture because it reveals that Jesus is speaking to believers, Those Jews who had believed in him, those Jews who had put their trust in him. Basically, what's being revealed here is a people group who have heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ, who have witnessed the ministry of Jesus Christ, and who have made the conscious decision to come into alignment, agreement, and put their trust in, which is really what the word believe means, to put trust in. Those who have heard, seen, uh, uh, experienced the ministry of Jesus Christ and received it, accepted it believed it. This is the people that is being spoken to here. What I realize when I see that is that this is being spoken now to me because I have heard the ministry of Jesus Christ. I've heard the gospel. I've experienced the power of Jesus Christ in my life. I have seen the effects of the kingdom of God in my life and now I've put my trust in it. So I realize now the words that follow are being directed toward me. And and if you are a Christian, then these words are directed toward you as well. So Jesus said to those who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine. Now remember, continuing in Jesus' word is to continue in truth. If you continue in my word, then you're truly disciples of mine, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. When I read this passage of scripture, something stands out to me. I become aware now why truth is under attack. Because if I wanted to assault someone's freedom, I should go after the thing that produces said freedom. And based on the words of Jesus Christ, the thing that produces freedom is truth. There's a reason why attempts to subdue liberties and subdue freedoms are being pushed through mass media streams. Because to affect the narrative of of what's true and what's false, to begin to doctor and to begin to uh, affect what people perceive as truth will open up the door to touch, to affect, or to corrupt the resulting freedom and liberty that comes from truth being a part of a person's life. For us, when we read these passages of Scripture, they need to be both encouraging and they need to be both eye-opening. One, I'm completely encouraged that the one who is truth, the one who is the source of truth, is present to bring that truth into my life that will result in freedom. When we think about what truth is, we ought to to reevaluate that question and ask who truth is. I'll, I'll give you a passage of Scripture here. That truth is not a what, but rather a who. Uh, When Jesus speaks of of himself in John 14, he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. That we can spend our time looking for the what of truth when we should be addressing the who of truth, the who being Jesus. Jesus and as truth enters into our lives the result is freedom so when people heard this people were were curious some were maybe frustrated and outraged others just believed that this guy has always been onto something when i've heard him speak in the past so maybe i should hear him out and they asked a question they said so we don't really understand what you just meant by that but but We're the children of Abraham, and and we've never been enslaved by anyone. So how do you say we'll become free? That if we follow your word and that we know truth, that the truth will result in us becoming free? And Jesus answered them and said, Truly I say to you, everyone that commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave doesn't remain in the house forever, but the son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. Now, when I was born again, this took place, a tremendous liberation from from sin and all of its captivity. When you were born again, this took place to be separated, just like the, the Israelites from the nation of Egypt, to be separated from bondage and captivity and then released into the promises of God. This is a wonderful and powerful benefit of our being born again. But there's a word here at the end that I think is really awesome and needs to be noted. It'd be very easy to read right past it. It's a word that I don't use very often, and and I doubt you do either. I mean, we live in Abilene, Texas. We kind of have a little bit of a Texas speak, so to speak. And and for us, we we just don't use uh, uh, words very often, and, and it's very easy for them to lose their meaning. But this last passage of scripture says that, so if the son makes you free, I mean, you have the word if there being a condition, right? Then you will be free indeed. That last word is intriguing to me, indeed. It's not a word I use very often, you know. My wife doesn't call me and and say, hey, honey, are you coming home for lunch? I mean, would you like me to to make a sandwich or something like that? And I don't say, indeed, my love, (laughs) right? Right? I, I don't. I don't say that. In fact, most of the time I say, no, I can't come home. I, I, got, I got to keep moving, you know. So something along those lines. We, it's just not a word that we use very often. But I want you to consider the word indeed. I mean, what does it mean to you? Uh, what would the dictionary say it means? I haven't looked it up, but I just want to offer it to you. I mean, indeed is obviously a word that, that means to, to confirm or to affirm something, right? I mean, you could answer indeed for the word yes, you know. Hey, pastor, are you going to preach much longer? Indeed. You know, you could substitute it for the word. Yes, it could be this affirming, positive response. But you can also look at it and you can see that it's a, it's a compound word. You've got two words being slammed together to make this one positive, affirming word in and deed and I kind of like to break this word down from that perspective when I read this passage of scripture, what it's like. So if the Son makes you free, so Jesus brings truth into my life, that truth results truth, excuse me, results in freedom, then I will be free in my deeds. It'll show in my actions. It'll be revealed in who I am. I mean, I remember being in a a group of intercessors uh, in in Oklahoma at another church that we were associated with. Kind of, you'd call it maybe a sister church or something like that. But they had a very powerful intercessory prayer ministry there, and 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 they had invited me to come be a part of some of their meetings, and I did. And and, in one of those meetings, they began to ask about a certain individual in in uh, state politics uh, at the time, but the state of Texas, even though we were in Oklahoma. They were asking about the the Texas governor because he'd made some comments and said some things. And, of course, their questions were, you know, is this guy who he says he is as a Christian? And it went around the room and everybody was giving their take on that, you know, well. uh, And then it it got to me and I kind of thought, man, I I don't want to be the rain cloud here. And I don't want to throw rocks. I don't know the guy. So, you know, you don't want to become, you know, the the jump right in the gossip pipeline. But I remember what I said, and what I said I would stand by even today, that you just have to look at his actions. I mean, Jesus said a tree is known by his fruit. So when you look at his actions, if you still have to ask that question, that ought to tell you something. I mean, as Christians, as people bought by the blood of Jesus, freed from the bondage of, of corruption, of sin, and all the captivity that comes with it, as individuals that have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, our lives being fueled every day by the grace of God, you'd think that would show up in our actions, right? Where you would see it, you would hear it in a person's words, you would see it in their attitudes and their actions, and, and I, I know when these are the things that are, are affecting me, and I know when these are the things that are not affecting me. And when these are the things that are not affecting me, when I respond carnally to a situation or, or I allow anger or frustration to, to overcome my, my self-control that God has, has blessed me with by the Holy Spirit, those are things that I'm convicted by. I realize I shouldn't have responded that way. And then hopefully I go and, and make it right. But for us, the freedom that results from the truth being part of our lives ought to be revealed indeed. Indeed or in our deeds. The effect of Jesus Christ on us should be revealed through our actions. If I were the enemy of all things godly, if I were the devil himself, and I knew that I had a mission to stop Christians from destroying the works of the devil and expanding the kingdom of God, I would know that I must affect their deeds I can't undo the cross. I can't undo the empty tomb. I I can't undo the power of the blood of Jesus or the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. But if I want to stop the destruction of the works of the devil and I want to stop the expansion of the kingdom of God, then I'm going to need to affect their deeds. Well, how do I affect their deeds? Well, their deeds are going to be the result of the freedom that comes through Jesus. Well, how do I affect the freedom that comes through Jesus? I need to get my hands on truth. I need to distort truth. I need to come to a place where I can affect everything that gets pumped into their minds and gets pumped into their hearts, through their ears, through their eyes. I need to get control of every aspect of media, and I need to pump a false narrative, label it truth. I'll affect their freedom, and then I'll affect their deeds. Pretty devious, isn't it? It's happening right now. Truth is important. Now, when we pray, we ought to pray, and we ought to pray as it concerns truth. Father, I want your truth to prevail in every aspect of my living. I want your truth to transcend the voice of this culture. Drown out every lie packaged as truth and let only what you say is true prevail in my ears and in my heart and in my mind. Let there be such a spirit of discernment that I would walk in that all of these lies would fall short of having an effect on my life. But only your truth would lead me, guide me, direct me, affect me in any way. And when we pray these things, we don't have to beg for these things because God has freely poured out the Holy Spirit who is the spirit of truth. When we pray these things, we're simply uh, submitting our our heart's desire to God that we become aligned with what he's already done. Father, let me be aligned with the work that you've accomplished through Jesus, that the Holy Spirit would lead me and guide me in all things in truth. Now, uh, truth... uh, Performs this wonderful effect in our life because truth does something powerful. Uh, uh, I'll give you a passage of scripture here from the gospel of John, John chapter 17. And John chapter 17 is Jesus praying for you. And as Jesus prays, he prays to the Father and he's praying for you and he asks God to do something. He identifies that you live in this world. I mean, God, uh, Jesus is acknowledging that that you, you've called them to do great things. They're here in the world, and the world is hostile toward the things of your kingdom. And he makes this prayer, and he makes this prayer on your behalf. He says, Father, sanctify them, that's you, in truth. Your word is truth. If truth is lifted from the life of the believer, sanctification is affected. Sanctification, meaning the the setting apart, the consecration, the thing that makes you different. What makes you different from anyone else in the world? Truth. The very word of God, the very spirit of God, the very presence of God. Moses saw this when Moses had a conversation with God. Moses talked to God and said, hey, we're going to go and do the things that you call us to do. But if you don't go with us, how will we look any different than anyone else on earth? And God responded and said, I will go with you. I'll go with you and I'll give you rest. Sanctification comes from truth. So here's a little kind of wordplay for you, okay? I, I want to acknowledge where the issue Lies. Now, in my notes, I put lies in quotes because we're talking about truth versus lie, right? Where does the issue lie? I want to give you a passage of scripture, and and I want us to to build on this, and then we're coming to the conclusion here. Uh, So so I want to encourage us to stay focused and dialed in because I believe there's a need for the word to have an effect on us this morning as it concerns this topic. Where the issue lies. 1 Peter chapter 1, I want to look at verse 13. First Peter 1 Peter 1.13, where the issue lies. So Peter is speaking and he's talking to believers. This is a, a letter written to, to the church, to, to people that are Christians. And, and he gives this instruction. He says, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is brought into you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now we're going to read that probably more than once, but I want us just to catch the beginning of that. Now, gird up the loins of your mind. If you're like me, your mind hits a brick wall and you think, what? The loins of my mind? But then you realize what's being communicated here. I mean, it's more than just kind of a poetic way to write, you know. It's not like, hey, Peter did really good in creative writing class. He gets bored, easy. he's a little ADD, and so he, he kind of has a little bit of artist in him, and he throws a little flair in all of his text. But rather, he's talking about a part of your mind. I mean, the, the loins would be considered the, the reproductive part. So I want to just give you some other ways to consider that, uh, the part that creates, Right? Or the part that can introduce multiplication. Well, thoughts can multiply. I mean, I'll give you a passage from the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 94, 19 says, Father, you know, pr- protect my heart as my anxious thoughts multiply within me. Right? Now, that passage of Scripture w- was kind of strange to me in my youth. And now that I have more duty and more responsibility, I get that. I mean, I've laid in bed at night, putting in a hard day of work, should just fall right to sleep, and all of a sudden... Anxious thoughts multiply within me. And before you know it, it's a festival of fear. And you're thinking, I don't like that. So there is a part in my mind that has the ability to to fabricate, to create, and also to bring multiplication. And Peter's saying, hey, get that under control. Gird it up means to to bind, to to actually to wrap it up, to, to keep it snug and tight. Don't let it just run wild. That part of your mind that has the ability to let this just get out of control and all of a sudden multiply to a point where it overcomes and overwhelms everything else, take control of that. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and then sobriety is defined here. Hope to the end for the grace that was brought into you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I mentioned to you before we're going to find how sober people think. This is the beginning of that. How sober people think. Hope to the end. I like this guy. I think Peter and I could hang out. We'd go do lunch sometime. It'd be a lot of meat. I promise you that. I just think this guy gets it. And when I read that passage of scripture, I do not picture this being spoken in in some poetic form or even slightly effeminate. But I see a guy who's saying, hey, listen, get your mind straight and you will. Hope to the very end. Never give up on the hope that you found in Jesus. I don't care how bad it is. I don't care what is knocking on your door. I don't care what letters are in your mailbox. You hang on to the end. It's more than just, you know, a cat hanging on the clothesline. Hang in there. You know, little wishful thinking posters you find in the office, workplace, and all of that. Hang in there, buddy. But it's a call. To the very end. I mean, that's underlined in my Bible. To the end. Meaning there is never a time that I get to check out of this mentality. There's never a time. It doesn't matter to me if if I feel like marriage is collapsing. It doesn't matter to me if I feel like business is folding. It doesn't matter to me if I feel like the world is coming to a, a, a catastrophic failure. I can hope in this to the very end. That's how sober people think. Now what tries to affect your sobriety? Intoxication. To overwhelm uh, someone to the point that they become intoxicated, poison. There is an attempt to make me drunk with all kinds of information today to overwhelm my, my, my commitment to hold on to that hope turning on the radio, turning on the television, here comes the booze, the mind booze to get me drunk and have me thinking crooked. But I've got to stay sober. And that sober way of thinking always hopes to the very end in the grace of God that I have as a Christian. That I found, and I love that Peter would say this, the moment the revelation of Jesus Christ touched my life. Do you realize what that means? That means this isn't something that we have to achieve through long periods of meditation or, or long runs as good Christians or well, you'll be a better Christian next year and you'll be a, a fifth degree Well, you'll have access to the hope of Jesus Christ. But the moment you became a believer, the grace of God is present to sober up your mind, to bring to your thinking God's love, His affection, and His commitment to your absolute eternal success. So I wanna give you a few things that a sober mind thinks for your notes and and we're gonna close with these things. A few things that a sober mind thinks. Now these are passages of scripture that just stood out to me. There's gonna be a lot more of these in the Bible but it's almost time for lunch so you're only gonna get a few. (laughs) A few things that a sober mind thinks. These made the cut. I feel like they're important enough to share with you this morning again. It's by no means a, a complete or absolute list. It's just a few things. 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Great passages of Scripture to, to sober up your thinking. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It reads like this. No temptation has overcome you but what's common to man. And God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to endure. But with every temptation, God will provide a way of escape also, so that, did you hear so that? So that you'll be able to win. So that you'll be able to endure it, is what it says. I want to think sober. I want to think like that. God, you've given me everything I need to win. No matter what temptation comes, if I feel the temptation to cheat, if I feel the temptation to steal, if I feel the temptation to lie, you promise to provide the escape. I need to to offer my ear to hear and my heart to follow, and I will win. I want to think in a sober way. Another way that sober minds think, Luke chapter 10, verse 19. Personally, just one of my absolute favorite passages of Scripture. Jesus talking to his disciples, no different than me or you. And he says, behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. That's how sober minds think. I would like for these passages of scripture to, to filter all of my thoughts. Give you a passage uh, scripture out of 1 John. 1 John 4, 4. This will be our, our final passage here. How a sober mind thinks. How a sober mind thinks. You are from God, little children, and have overcome, because greater is He who's in you than He who's in the world. I mean, I think it would be a great thing to just take the Scripture and converse with God, you know, in your prayer time. Father, will you show me passages of Scripture that will open up the door for sober thinking in my life? So that when when anxious thoughts try to multiply, I can keep sober. Remind me that greater is the one who's in me, my King Jesus and that which is in the world. Remind me that you've given me authority, that I'm not powerless in any of this situation, that I can pray, I can intercede, I can seek wisdom and counsel and direction from you, the Most High God, and see solution. Remind me that you provide a way, you make a way where there seems to be no way. You can part the sea and walk me right through it to victory. Keep me sober in all of my thinking so that I won't abandon truth. I want to ask you to stand with me. We're going to pray and and trust God to do some great things in our lives. It's very hard to acknowledge things that are going on in the world today without there being some perceived agenda. And the only agenda that I have is for us to do what we're called to do as the people of God, expanding the kingdom of God. As patriotic as I would love to, to perceive myself to be, I'm under no illusions that the United States of America is not the kingdom of heaven. The U.S. Constitution is not the word of God. This isn't about trying to push some kind of a political thought or affiliation or speak of... Of, of current events as as if these things were were of the kingdom of God but rather I do see an attempt to affect the people of God in how they work and operate in the kingdom of God I mean the spirit that's at work in this world is not only working in the world but through the world and it's the reason why these examples are used because they fit they're real But the goal of this is to see the life of the believer affected in such a way that we become effective for God's kingdom in everything that we do. That truth is embraced, that its effect is freedom, and that that freedom leads us and guides us into the destruction of the works of Satan, the expansion of the kingdom of God, just like we're called to follow in the steps of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do. I want to pray and I want to ask God to open our eyes to see the world in truth and in lie, that we not be uh, subject to the deception of, of good and evil, but that we would see what's true, embrace that, that we would know what's a lie and reject that, and that the result would be freedom revealed through our deeds and our actions. So, there where you stand, we can simply be in agreement. You're welcome to to be praying along with me. You're welcome to simply be in the mindset of receiving the prayer itself. But I want to pray and ask God to do these things. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word would be that which would sanctify us. Let it take place here and now as as we stand together, that there would be a setting apart, a setting apart from what is so common in this world, fear and anxiety and the corruption that results from it. Let a sanctification take place by your word that we would truly be identified as different in this world, that we could be steady, stable, that we could be secure in the midst of total chaos. Let truth prevail in our lives. Let there be an awareness and an understanding of the value and the importance of truth. Let our our perspectives be shifted that we wouldn't attempt to decide between good and evil, but that we would be led to see clearly the difference between truth and lie. And let a work be done in each of us that we would so run to, that we would so embrace, that we would be completely devoted to truth. And let us be quick to release and lay down all that is a lie. Set us free from any attempt to justify those things that are not truth. And let us operate in the full measure of your grace. That everything that we would do for your kingdom would be effective and fruitful. That we would not be your sons and daughters bringing about uh, divisiveness and division, but let there be a unification that would take place through words of truth released through our mouths, through deeds of truth released through our actions, through truth having its effect on our minds and our hearts and our entire being. And let the result be the freedom promised in your word. And let that freedom be lived out in word, in action, in thought. Let it be lived out in deed. We give you thanks for this wonderful promise. We receive your spirit, the spirit of truth, to lead us into all things. Let us be delivered from every trap and let us be led into all that is true by the presence of your spirit, for your namesake and for your glory. We rejoice and give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared, amen.